Well, good evening. My name is Daniel Grothy, pastor uh, here at New Life Friday Night, and we are thrilled you're here. If you have your Bibles, would you turn toward the back of the book? We're looking for Galatians. It's week five of our series called The Revolutionary Gospel, and we're going through this book that Paul wrote, this letter that he wrote to the people in Asia Minor. And uh, what I'm going to do is read from Galatians 3, 1 through 14, so this next section of the text. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow along there. If you don't, you can follow on the screen. But what I want all of us to do is to act as if these are the very words of God to us tonight, because don't look now, but they are. God is the speaking God. God is the one who repairs us. God is the one who who takes us in whatever state he finds us and he patches us back together. He mends our wounds. He, He resets the bone. He pours oil on and restores us. And that's what I believe is gonna happen tonight as we open these sacred scriptures. And so hear the word of the Lord. I'll read it and then we'll pray Galatians 1, or 3, 1 through 14. It says this. You foolish Galatians. Well, thank you, Paul. <laughs> Man, he waited, but I'll just let you know in case you're just jumping in, this is chapter three. We're toward the middle of the letter. So he's kind of warmed them up just a little bit and now he can sort of jerk the slack out. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Now he starts asking them these rhetorical questions. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Say the spirit again. You'll see the spirit. You'll see this theme all throughout. After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain If it really was in vain, he leaves hope open there. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, there it is again, or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham, and now I want you to flag in your mind this this character, Abraham. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's read on. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. There he is again, the third time. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written Cursed is everyone. Now, this is Deuteronomy 21, 23. So Paul is quoting the Torah to them. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. He's building his argument here to this moment. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, 
so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we need you tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would have your way. Every bit of resistance in us, we give it over to you tonight. Would you picture yourself all the defense mechanisms around your heart, all the ways we try to keep keep our lives under control. Would you just picture the Lord by his spirit gently taking those walls down tonight? Lord, we say knock down every wall, knock down every defense mechanism, everything that we would try to raise up to keep you from making us your people, Lord. We pray that you would have your way tonight. And So we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. I pray as the word goes forth that people would be healed. (laughs) Pray that as the word goes forth, people would have prophetic visions and dreams. I pray that as the word goes forth, ears that have been so clogged up for years in the spirit realm would be unstopped and that people would hear afresh. I pray tonight for the softening of hearts, for the opening of eyes. Lord, when your word goes out, anything's possible. And so we say, Lord, may the words of our mouths, meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight Oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer tonight, we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. These people were getting this letter somewhere around 50 AD. Now, Jesus Christ was crucified and raised. We'll just call it for a clean number. Let's call it 33 AD, okay? He's 33 years old, Crucified, buried, raised, ascended, you know, 30. So this is what, 17 years later? So the gospel, it took a while for it to get out to Asia Minor. Remember Jerusalem, where Jesus was, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost bounds of the earth. So it took a while for it to start reaching the uttermost bounds of the earth. But here these people are out in Asia Minor in Turkey. Not Jerusalem, but in Turkey. And they hear the good news of this one who was crucified, Jesus Christ the Lord, the Son of God, who was put in the grave, and then he was no longer dead, and he ascended, and they started believing, and they followed Jesus, and they put their faith in him. But then these Judaizers came through town, and they started to say, yeah, it's Jesus plus. Jesus alone is not enough. It's Jesus plus circumcision. It's Jesus plus dietary restrictions. It's Jesus plus a strict observance of the Sabbath. It's Jesus plus all of these social boundary markers that we live by. We know these stories, these social boundary markers. And Paul got word that these people who were so in love with Jesus, period, not Jesus plus, started hooking into this Jesus plus gospel. So he writes them this letter and he says to them, who has bewitched you? What happened? Paul said, I remember looking you in the eyes. I was there with Barnabas and I was there with Silas. Like I've traveled through and I know you. This is not some abstraction. And I know that you saw Jesus crucified. I know that you believed the simple gospel of Jesus, period, But I've heard that someone's bewitched you, that someone came in and started sowing seeds of distrust that Jesus is enough. Paul writes them exasperated, you foolish Galatians who's bewitched you before your very eyes. Jesus was clearly portrayed. I told you the good news and I know you believed it. Jesus is the story, so what happened? This is the context for chapter three. And then he asks them a few very crisp and clarifying questions that lead them somewhere. 
He says, I would also like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? Like did God's work in your life happen because you were so observant and so faithful and because you were living this airtight faith? Obviously no. The spirit, did you receive the spirit by believing, by faith in what you heard? You are so foolish, and after beginning by means of the Spirit, you see what he's saying here. And then he, he leads him to this moment, and he starts talking about Abraham. Abraham believed God. So you used to believe cleanly in Jesus, and now you've had this bewitched gospel that you've sunk your teeth into. But there's this one Abraham who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so Paul speaks about Abraham, and the question is, why is he reminding them of old father Abraham, who had many sons, many sons had father Abraham? Why does he, why does he go back to the beginning of the story? I, I want you to see that Abraham and Sarah were the people God used to get the story back on track. So let me take you on a little flyby history of the book of Genesis, early Genesis, you know, Genesis one and two, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was just unending, unbroken, unmitigated goodness. It was beautiful. And then you turn to Genesis three, and Genesis three, we read about the fall, which is the fracturing of communion with God. Did God really say you shouldn't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's just trying to hold out on you. The snake slithers up and seduces them away and they take their story into their own hands. And in doing so, the fracturing of communion with God. They used to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day and now they discover their nakedness and they're hiding behind the tree and God comes into the garden going, where are you? Communion with God was lost in Genesis chapter three, the fall. Genesis chapter four, you turn the page, the very next chapter, we see Cain kills Abel, the first set of brothers. There's family division there. We see the fracturing of the family. So we lose communion with God, and then we lose communion within our smallest concentric circle of trust. Cain kills his brother Abel. Then you turn a couple pages, you've got Genesis six through nine, and it tells us the story of Noah and the flood, which is the fracturing of the created order. So we've got the fracturing of communion with God. We're hiding now and we're hedging our bets and we're accusing one another. And then Cain finally strikes his brother Abel, the fracturing of communion within the family. And then you start seeing the fragmentation outward, the fracturing of the created order. The world is heaving and sobbing and groaning and breaking open and the floodgates are coming and destruction is everywhere. You see how it just keeps moving outward. And then Genesis chapter 11, you've got the Tower of Babel, which is the fracturing of the peoples. It used to be one, one you know, bunch of nations, but one language. And you see in Genesis 11, when they build the Tower of Babel, and, and, and we'll go up to the heavens and we'll make a name for ourselves. And God comes down and says, no, you won't. And he cuts them out at the knees. And then languages are confused and the people scatter. Do you see from Genesis chapter three to Genesis chapter 11, here's a little summary of that text. It's the story of the curse. I will be like God. And it breaks here and it breaks there and it breaks outward and it keeps fracturing and fragmentation everywhere you look. And that's the story of Genesis 3 
to Genesis 11, the story of the curse. But the Hebrew text turns on a hinge here. At the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, chapter 12, verse one, boom. It's a literary device. There's a new day dawning in God's good world. And here's what we see in Genesis 12, one. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, Abram, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you along the way. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will what? Genesis 3 to 11, curse, 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 fragmentation and fracturing and fighting each other and striking each other down and looking over your shoulder. Genesis 11 ends with this dark minor chord of, of, of heaviness. Genesis 12, one. Let's go, Abram. It's time. <laughs> it's time to get the story back on track and I will bless you. Like, like Genesis 1 kind of stuff, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good. And then we've got this story here that we all know so well, the story of the curse. But God will not leave the story of the curse as the final story. Genesis 12, 1, blessing. <laughs> Let's go, Abram. And, and I know it's going to be a land that I'll show you along the way. You don't know what you're doing here, and you don't know where you're going, and there's so much uncertainty. It's okay, I'm God. And I will be your father and you will be my people and I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And he goes on, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. He's, what he's saying is you're going to carry a story forward that is the true story. It's the story that is rushing toward everlasting life. And if anyone tries to live a counter story to that, it's just going to end up in cursing because remember Genesis 3 through 11, it's curse. I'm going to bless you, and I pray that the world steamrolls in behind you toward blessing. That's what God is saying here. And then at the end of this passage, he says, and all peoples. He doesn't say, and all Jews. From the very beginning of the story, God is the God of, of the nations. God is the God of every tribe and tongue and nation and people group. God is not the God who's trying to make the circle small. God is the God who says, from the beginning, the story is blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you or through your seed. Through your seed, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. God's gonna get the salvation and blessing story back on track. His purposes will not be stopped. You can try to stand in his way, but, but it, you might as well just draft in behind him because he is racing toward everlasting life and all who will come can find their way into it. God will not be stopped and he calls them to live by faith again. Remember, Adam and Eve were living by faith in Genesis 1 and 2. This is your garden. This is your world. This is your blessing. This is your goodness. Now I can just exercise skilled mastery within it. Genesis 3 is the story of saying, no, I'm going to take the story into my own hands. God calls them in chapter 12, Abram and Sarai, let's live by faith again. Trust me again and follow me again. Adam and Eve started in faith and they were bewitched into feasting on their own stories. And Paul is writing this letter to a people who started in simple faith and they were bewitched trying to take the story into their own hands. So what we see with the story of Abraham and Sarah is God wrenches Abraham and Sarah out of a life of self-sufficiency and he calls them to live by faith. 
And I want you to see here at the beginning something that's really, really important. It's this, that Abraham and Sarah heard the promise of God. They lived by faith and they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you go, the Holy Spirit, how could they walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter one, chapter two. Some of you think the Holy Spirit sort of launched on the scene as a, a late development in the story. And I'm here to tell you that from the very beginning, Abraham and Sarah lived by faith and they walked in and trusted in and followed the power of the Holy Spirit. Not perfectly, <laughs> Lord have mercy. Man, they had their moments and we, I mean, there's all kinds of heaviness and all kinds of darkness and all kinds of Ishmaeling, you know, taking the story into your own hands. I just turned Ishmael into a verb, you know? <laughs> all kinds of Ishmaeling. But they lived by the power of the Spirit. Go to a land that I will show you. He doesn't give them a map. He doesn't give them certainty. He gives them his presence. Let's go, I'll show you, I'll walk with you. They lived by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit from the very beginning. I'll just say that Abraham's obedience came 430 years before Moses' reception of the law. We really need to see that Abraham in Genesis 12 came before Moses in Exodus 20. Abraham didn't live by the law. He lived by faith in the spirit of the living God who was leading him into a land that he was being shown actively along the way. We think Abraham is, oh, read the, the rule book, God's handbook for living, and I'll just plug and play the formula, and if I just do that, you know, it's, it's real simple. No, he lived by faith. 430 years later, Moses climbs Mount Sinai, and God says, thus saith the Lord, and gives him the Ten Commandments. I, I need you to see that faith is the beginning of the story, not law. We love, to, we love to tuck in behind the law. Why? Because it's a little clearer. So I can put my hands on it. I can, I can, I, there is a formula for me to plug and play. If you'll just do this, then your life will be easy. And if you'll just do this, then you'll be blessed and highly favored. And if you'll just do this, everything will line up for you. And, and I'm just telling you, the beginning of the story is a story of mystery. It's a story of invitation into following the spirit. It's a story where God just gently and subtly and, and with everything calls you to go to a land that he will show you along the way. Genesis 12, faith Following the Spirit came before Exodus 20 and the law. What I'm here to say tonight is that it's all about the Spirit. It's all about the Spirit. And what does Paul tell these people? In this text, he tells them that life without the Holy Spirit is death. Life without the Holy Spirit is death. He talks about the Spirit in this section in 14 verses. He talks about the Spirit five times. Verse two, verse three, verse five, verse 14. And from the beginning, the promise to and the identifying mark of the believer has always been God's Spirit living within us. God's Spirit. Not, not the law first, but God's spirit first. Genesis 2, verse 7, before the fall, before darkness, before the fracturing and the loss of communion with God, what do we see? God fashions the man out of the dust of the ground and he <sighs> breathes the breath of life into his nostrils and he became a living being. The word there for breath is ruach in the Hebrew, which is wind, breath, or spirit. Which is to say that we as human beings have been animated from the very beginning by the breath of God's spirit. 
Like we live by the spirit and, and it's all about the spirit. And Paul says life without the spirit is actually death. Jeremiah came along in Jeremiah 31. This is one of Lillian, our daughter. I remember when she was four years old, this is one of the first scriptures she memorized and we would lay in bed at night and she would quote this out loud and pray this prayer and I pray that until she's an old woman, this, this scripture dwells in her. Jeremiah says in 31, 33, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. <laughs> the days of destruction, the days of broken communion and declares the Lord and I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, not tablets. Like the spirit does something where he chisels away God's way of being within your very bones, within your identity, within your spirit. It gets down to the core of your DNA that you just, you don't need a book and you don't need some, some, some God who's you know, whipping you into obedience. Yes, the book is beautiful, but, but, but look, you just want to do it. You want to worship him and you want to serve and you want to bless those that curse you and you want to take care of your neighbors and you want to live in God's kingdom. He says, by the power of the spirit, I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then old Ezekiel, Zeke comes along. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. look at this text from the prophet. And I will give them, God is speaking through the prophet, and I will give them one heart, and I will give them a new spirit. Because the old spirit, the spirit that snatches that apple and says, I've got this. That spirit that leads to death, it, it, it will never do the heavy lifting. I will give them a new spirit. I'll put it in them, and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh with new and right desires. Ezekiel, he goes on in 36, verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, from the very beginning, God has intended for us to be animated by and filled with and led by and in submission to his Holy Spirit. How does this happen? Okay, great, Daniel, thanks, appreciate that. Some of you are going, tell me how this works. And I'll just tell you, one of the greatest things you can do is wait on God. It feels so impotent. It feels so weak. It feels so, what am I doing? I'm not doing anything. And we've got these cell phones that like give an instant payoff of like refresh, refresh, refresh. Oh, there's a new email. I'm, I'm important. Oh, there's a new like on, an, oh, there's a new notification. The world's falling apart. Oh, there's a new, like we, we're like, uh, <clears throat> we need, sti we, we, we're so drunk on stimulation. Throw the stupid thing away and lock the door and sit down in the presence of the Lord and say, come holy Spirit, this is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 40, those who wait, those who wait on the Lord. Do you, do you feel how uncomfortable it is when, when you're sitting in a room with people who are just waiting? And you also feel how beautiful it is? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary and they will walk and not be faint. And where do, where do we see the spirit is poured out in Acts chapter one and two? It's the people of God waiting in Jerusalem like Jesus told them to. He said, don't race out to the ends of the earth to take this story into your own hands. You, you won't have what you need. And they're waiting. 
and they're waiting. And they're waiting, and then the Spirit breaks out and fills them and sends them into the streets. Uh, this week I was, I woke up one morning at 5 a.m., and I, you know when you, you go to bed the night before and you know you have a day coming tomorrow, like a day-day, like a crazy day where the calendar's wall-to-wall, and you've got some intensity in that calendar, and you've got one really difficult conversation you know that's coming, and you go to bed and you try to just enter into the peace of God that passes all understanding. <laughs> but you know it's a day that's coming tomorrow. I had one of those, and I woke up at 5 a.m. thinking, you know, 100 miles an hour, it's a day. And, and what I was telling myself sort of subconsciously is, I've got to go get it. I got to go be strong. I got to get my head together. I got to get my stuff together. And I'm studying and I'm preparing and I'm making notes for this meeting. And I know I've got a really difficult conversation. And it was one, and, and I, I got on the Peloton because I, like, I got to get this negative energy out of me because I'm about to hurt somebody and flush the system. And, and I did that for 30 minutes and it just wasn't enough. I, it was the, the anxiety and the adrenaline and all of the fear of the mystery of the day in front of me. It, it was catching up to me and I was getting ready and I just, I stopped and I said, Lord, I'm anxious. I don't really talk like that much with the Lord. And I, I, don't, I, I don't always feel that way, but I was overwhelmed with the sense of how am I going to do all of this today? And will there be strength to to have that conversation. God, are you going to abandon me? And I said, Lord, I'm anxious. And then I got dressed and I walked out and I picked up my phone to see what time it is. And there was a text message from a guy that I haven't seen or talked to in 12 years. 12 years. No communication. He doesn't say anything of a personal note. In the text message, it's Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds by the power of Christ Jesus. I haven't seen him or talked to him in 12 years, and he didn't say anything before, and he didn't say anything after, but that man got up in the morning on the East Coast early, and he was waiting on the Lord. And he said, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say right now? What are you doing in the earth, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, who do you want me to intercede for? Holy Spirit, I'm just available to you and have your way and let your kingdom come and let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. He's just waiting in the presence of the Lord and the Lord says, Daniel, Grothy's anxious. Tell him, do not be anxious about any. My day at 6.30 in the morning, from 5 to 6.30, it was anxiety. It was, it, was, it was me grabbing the apple and carrying my own narrative. And at 6.30, from 6.30 till I went to bed that night at 10 o'clock, glory, peace, joy, blessing, favor, God's presence. Coming from a man who was saying, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? And the curse that I was living in turn to blessing. And this is what Paul is saying, that if you will live with and dwell in the life of the Spirit of God, he will fill, like that Genesis 2-7, he'll he'll breathe the breath of life into your nostrils, and you'll become a living being, and then you'll become like Abraham's seed, going out and blessed to be a blessing, and you'll send text messages that change people's days, and you'll step into your workplace, and you'll be different, and you'll carry a peace that the world is dying for. Friends, Paul says, 
that this is the kind of life that's in front of us, life with and life animated by the Spirit. This is where the good news of Jesus comes in because so many of us know the curse so well. We've lived in the curse. We've, we've clung to the curse. We've, 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 we've been swept up in the wake of someone else's bad decision that ended up being the curse for us. Or we made bad decisions that ended up causing curse for other people. We know the curse so well. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ because Paul at the end of this section comes along and he says to us, Jesus Christ entered into the curse. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. This is why we have a cross in this room. This is why we have a cross on the top of our steeple. Not because it's some sort of religious furniture, but because it reminds us all the time that Jesus is the one who stepped into the curse, became the curse for us, and he redeemed us so that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to us. I'll say it this way, the curse came into the world at Eden's tree and the curse was broken on Calvary's tree. I'll say it another way, the eternally blessed one became the curse so that all the cursed ones could be written into the blessing. Jesus, it's the great reversal. (laughs) The one seated at the right hand of the Father who eternally had been hearing, this is my son whom I love, in him I am well pleased, saw his brothers and sisters, us down here on the planet, blowing the place up. And he obeys the Father's will, coming down, being born of the Virgin Mary, and he became like us, and he became one of us, and he lived the eternally blessed one became the curse and finally was nailed to a tree outside of Jerusalem and suffered the curse and exhausted the curse and took it on. So why? All of us little cursed ones who were wasting away, living in the snares of the devil, we could be written into the blessing eternally. Can you say amen tonight? Friends, we all have these moments where a scripture will stick out to us or it becomes a life verse or A scripture hits you at a moment in your life where you'll just never, ever forget it and you you grab hold of it. And this text right here, Galatians 3, 13 and 14, has been a verse that my family has carried for many decades now. I wanna invite my dad up on the stage and have him give you a bit of a glimpse of why Galatians chapter three has been so crucial for us. So dad, come on up here and tell us where this scripture hit your life. so appreciate these verses tonight. I'll tell you just a little bit of our family backstory. When I was growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mel and Vel Grothy had one son. They were the hardest working people. Thank you. That's, I just reminded myself who my name is there, what my name is. Mel and Vel were the hardest working people I knew, but they were also the the most unhappy people I ever saw. Family upset was a regular occurrence at our house. Back then we just called it, you know, it was just kind of a big fight. I think modern day terminology would use something like domestic violence. I'd go to bed at night and just say, Lord, I just wish we could have a happy home. About 15 years old, I got a call come home day, there's been an accident. I was at a rehearsal and I came home. And on the TV, my mother was watching the 
little scroll that there was an explosion at a certain address out in the oil field and sure enough, that was dad's crew and nine men that night were killed at the oil well as it exploded. And I moved from 15 trying to just figure things out. Mother's health had been uh, in question for several years. She'd had a brain tumor and a surgery and she was recovering and her mobility was... I needed to help and get a job and work. At 17, I went to the dorm and started university and was trying to make a go of life, and mom's health continued to decline until one day I was at another service at a, at a Baptist student union. I was leading the service, and I got the call that mother had passed away. I'd just turned 19, and all of a sudden, we, I found myself just without any family. No parents, no siblings. And I began to have this recurring thought in my mind. You know, dad's killed and mom's now four years almost to the day gone because of sickness. And how, the, the thought in my mind came, how are you going to die, Dave? How am I going to die? I'm thinking, I'm only 19. I haven't really started to live yet. How? And that thought just kept harassing my thinking. And weeks and months went by after mother passed, and finally spring break happened. She died in November, and I got in the car, and I went to a, a good college friend's home for the week, and his parents happened to pastor a little church just outside of Fort Worth in Parker County, Alito, Texas, just west of Fort Worth, and prayer meeting on, on a Monday night. And I just went to the service, and there was just a little cassette playing, some worship instrumental music, and I got down over here on my knees near the platform and I said Lord I just need you to show me what's going on here I, I don't want to die and the fear and the turmoil had been so real and as I was kneeling there I heard this voice come up behind me and it was the pastor's wife Miss Rose Barton and she said very calmly the curse, David, that's been over your family has stopped with your generation. And she began to quote this verse. Put the verse up. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law being made a curse for you. That the blessing of Abraham. She went on and just quoted yeah. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed you and the curse has stopped with your generation. I'm still on my knees. And I'll tell you, I got up from that place of prayer that night, and to this night, I've never again had a fear about how I was going to die. In fact, I look back in those days, all of my dad's family, his father had died early at his own hand. His younger brother died early. He had another brother that ended up passing very early. My father was only 56 years old when he was killed. My mother was 53 her younger sister had died at 35. There was kind of this generational thought about early death. Yeah. And it had tormented me in my mind. But I'll tell you, I got it from that place of prayer, and that curse has been broken. Yes. Mm. And I want to say this. I look at my grandfather, my father, me, at least three generations that never knew a growthy grandfather. All of them never knew a growthy grandfather. Daniel never knew a growthy grandfather. 
but his first son has known a growthy grandfather. And I just want to say this, if curses can be generational and pass from one to the next, to the next generation, so can a blessing. Yes, that's right. Let it happen. That's right. Yep. Dad, come here. So stand with me tonight. Here's what I want us to do. Today, as I was praying about this, I just sensed that, that there were going to be people here tonight who feel trapped in a curse. You feel stuck in a cycle of curse, death, heaviness, lust, financial poverty, you, whatever the thing is, you just feel like it just, I can't get out of it. And tonight in Jesus' name, some stuff is going to die. The curse is going to be broken. And so I want, with the spiritual authority that he has, having lived this, I want him to pray. But what I want you to do is to open your hands. And some of you, I don't want to shame or embarrass anyone, so I'm going I'm to leave this for you to do business with the Lord. But some of you tonight, you go, man, you're praying for me. <laughs> This is me, I, I receive this. And so what I want you to do is close your eyes tonight. And would you just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Those of you who need to be broken out of a loop, a cycle of curse, my dad's gonna pray tonight. So dad, come on, step up here and pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the promise of salvation through your son, Jesus. And with the psalmist, we say, bless the Lord Jesus. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. We will not, Lord, forget any of your benefits. You forgive all of our sin. You heal all of our disease. You crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. You renew us, Lord. And tonight, I say, according to your word, yes. that the curse is yes. broken in on Jesus our lives name. through Jesus. In Jesus' name. The curse has stopped with your generation yes, let tonight. it be. Let Whatever it, be. it is that's rolled forward, generation to generation, that's been brokenness. Jesus' name. Let the curse be stopped now in the name above all names. Yes. We break sickness, disease, yep. fear. Yep. Perfect love casts out fear. Yes. Let it be cast out yes. of our lives tonight, yes. out of our homes, yes. out of our families, yes. out of our future. We have a future and a hope because yes. of you, Jesus. Yes. yes. And tonight we lift up our lives as a living sacrifice. We yes. present our lives to you yes. we'll in worship. Yes. Take our lives, Lord, and with your brokenness, bring healing to our lives. With your stripes, heal us in our bodies. Thank you for taking crown of thorns on your head that our thoughts and yes. our peace may be great in our minds. Yes. You've been bruised for our iniquities. Yes. The chastisement of our peace was upon you, Lord, By and we stripes. receive it tonight. We pray that with this message of freedom through the cross, yes. through the sacrifice, through the resurrection, May we go forth in life and life Bless. abundant. May yep. it pour through our veins. May it pour through our spirit. May the life that drives out darkness, the light that drives out darkness be our testimony. Yes. Thank you for filling us up to the full. Let us be, Lord, disciples that represent your glory. Yes. May our temples be full of the glory of God. May it be a testimony. May our lives be a witness of the goodness of Jesus. Yes, Lord. We pray in his name. 
Let everybody just say the name of Jesus together. Jesus. Now you proclaim it Jesus. over your life. In the Jesus' name, of name Jesus. I'm free. Whom the Son sets free, free is free in indeed. Yeah. Let's sing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Let's sing this song, The Blessing, tonight. And I want you to receive, as you're dropping all that negative stuff, all the curse that the enemy wanted you to carry tonight, open your hands and open your hearts and receive the blessing that is yours in Christ Jesus. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Receive that Thank you.
communion elements ready to receive if you don't have communion elements just raise your hand and one of our volunteers will bring it to you as we come to this moment and you take that wafer in your hand and that little cup of juice here's the gospel message tonight He is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. He was crushed so that you could be made whole. (laughs) He was wounded so that you could be healed. He was hung on a tree so that you could walk out of the grave. (laughs) Friends, the good news of the gospel is Jesus is for you and his blessing is on your life. So here we are tonight holding this bread and on the night Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it you can break that little wafer he said this is my body which is broken for you this is the down payment for everything that's going to come all the good stuff and he said as often as you do this do this for the remembrance of me don't ever forget Jesus is for you you may receive the bread tonight
On the same night, Jesus took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. It's gonna cost everything. And it's given for the remission of all of your sins. All of your Genesis 3 through Genesis 11 storyline. All of the curse that that was on you. (laughs) All the stuff that I started in motion that was deathly and and that was going to lead to destruction. He said, I've got it covered. This cup is given for you and it's my blood to wash away all of your story so that I can lead you into blessing. And Jesus said, every time you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. So I say to you tonight, you are clean. You have been washed. Renewal is yours. You may receive the cup tonight. I got to say one more thing before we go back into may his favor be upon you. As we were singing that, some of you are in this room and you are living right in the middle of a season where it has felt like curse, right? And you think that that's going to be your truest storyline, that that's going to be the big headline of your life. And I'll tell you, when my dad tells me his family story of growing up, I can't even believe it. Like, I know that it happened, but it's hard for me to believe that it's actually true that it happened. Why? Because the blessing is so thoroughgoing that it washes away the curse. And some of you, listen, here's what I want you to hear. Some of you are living in that story of curse, and you think future generations are going to know you by it. No, they will not. They will not. They will know you by the blessing of God. They will know you by his favor on your life. And so don't look now, but that's coming. So let's sing this again. May his favor be upon you. Come on, two, three. Come on, church.
you open your hands to receive the benediction that the ancient priests of Israel would pray over the people of God as they would leave the temple or the synagogue. Moses prayed, may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his favor to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his bright, smiling countenance upon you and all of your people, and may he grant you peace, his shalom, and I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Amen. One more time, let's give it up for what the Lord has done here tonight. To David Grothy, love you, Dad. Good work. Thank you for sharing your testimony. Two things. Our prayer team is going to come down and be ready to pray for any of you who have prayer requests that you want someone to agree with you about. So come on down, prayer team. We would love to pray for every last one of you. And if you're new, come see us at New Life Next in the student chapel just across the hallway. Come on out and say hi. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.